We got stools this week. It's exciting. I'm going to throw this back. Okay. Hello. We are glad to be here. I say that because it's true. Some guest speakers say they're glad to be here because that's just what you're supposed to say. But I am genuinely excited. We love salt and light. Uh, we, we love opportunities to uh, share whatever God has put in us and is doing in us and through us. Y'all are fascinated with the mic situation. You know, I can see your eyes. They're not looking at me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would have been distracted too. Uh, I was telling you how much I love you. Um, we are, it really is an honor to be asked to do something like this, especially by uh, pastors and, and families that we know and love really well. Um, so yeah, that, that's just something I want to, I want to say, and I hope that it's felt and not just, uh, heard as like an introductory thing. Um, but we are together doing something. We're joining God in the mission. And, and though we live in Dallas and y'all have your feelings about Dallas, we don't really think about Fort Worth very much. (laughs) This is the kind of, the kind of thing siblings do, right? Uh, it really is a joy to be here. If you weren't here last week, uh, just to catch you up a little bit and really review for anybody, um, we talked about feelings uh, and how they're not just a neutral thing, but they are, uh, is it humming? Is my mic humming? Okay. I don't know. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. Uh, and they're not just a neutral thing. They're a gift of God. And they're given to us in the womb. In fact, neurologically speaking, our feelings, the limbic system in the brain develops before the cognitive system. So you learn to think and you develop rationale up until your 20s, whereas you're born with almost everything you need to feel all you need to feel. So in a real sense, our feelings are the majority of who we are by God's design. Even before the fall, Adam had some feelings in the garden. So we zoomed in and we looked at this idea of loneliness in particular. And the whole time we talked about how each of us experience these feelings and they're broken now after the fall, but they're not necessarily sinful because you're feeling something that you can't control, right? So our feeling lonely, though it feels wrong, and God, in fact, says it's not good that Adam is alone. He doesn't call it sin. In fact, he says that before the fall even happens, right? So it's important to hold that in your head because if you don't, when you feel lonely or when you feel any so-called negative feeling, you'll immediately begin to shame yourself uh, and maybe even develop a pattern, a system of denying and lying about the so-called negative feelings so that you then become this fake person, this, this false self that Amelia helped us with. She's the psychology expert. I'm the false, I'm the false self. She's the false <laughs> self expert. Uh, so she walked us through how that's developed in early on and how you attach to your parents and connect to your parents, whether that's a toxic relationship for whatever reason or even a so-called healthy relationship in a broken world. We develop these ways of just denying who we actually are. Uh, even if it's as simple as your, your parents were telling you, don't be sad, don't be sad, because they're good parents and they don't want you to be sad, but you internalize that as I'm not allowed to be sad. And so you develop this ability to control that. And you reject sadness. And so you grow up denying your sadness. And you kind of present this person who's not ever sad when the reality is you are sad. You just don't know how to be honest about it. Does that make sense? You with me? So we, we, that's sadness. But we talk specifically about loneliness. And the reason this is all important is because God has this master plan, even before it all was created, to 
have this triune nature, this community that God exists in himself, bring his humanity. He's not good for Adam to be alone. He now has Eve, not just a wife, but community, brother and sister. Invite them into this thing that he's doing within himself and, and then commanding us, in fact, to have dominion over all creation, to multiply and fill the earth with his glory. That's the commission in the very, very beginning. It's broken and we've been rebuilding and he's coming after us and we resist it and we think we can fix it, we can figure it out. Everybody's doing that same thing individually, trying to fix it and work it out. And corporately, we build our institutions and organizations and we think we're going to solve the problems, but we're too caught up in being fake. We're not being honest about who we are and what we feel. So this concept of loneliness can bring us back to something if you're not too afraid to feel it. It can bring us back to something and gaining an intimacy that God designed for us to share with one another. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. There's an intimacy there. And with him, he walked with them in the garden. And a little bit more ambiguous, we'll try to break it down with ourselves. So we're lonely for God, we're lonely for others, and we're lonely for ourselves. So today we're going to try to focus on those three things and flesh it out a little bit and then invite you to feel and think about your loneliness And then we'll talk a little bit about what exactly is to be done because you can't fix your loneliness. You can only feel it. In fact, we would say it's not even something that needs to be fixed. It's a gift of God so that you can be aware of your need for intimacy and community and closeness with Him. All right. That's the summary of last week. Everybody feel good about that? All right. So we're going to, at the end, ask for questions. We're going to kind of try to keep it briefer. Uh, so that we can have room for questions. Uh, But by no means do we know everything, so we're going to wrestle with this together. We're just fellow humans on the same journey, denying our loneliness, pretending like we're good, when really we feel a lot of things. And we're all learning how to be more honest about it. On this sheet of paper at your tables, there's a list of, I think, four questions. It says opening questions. If you wouldn't mind, take a minute. I'm going to read them out loud, but take a minute and try to sincerely answer these. You can write it down, you can keep it in your head, you can share it with somebody. Uh, But this is going to kind of prime us. Before we actually answer the questions, let's have a little bit of silence. Just to kind of be present. There's this temptation we all have of being in the past in our minds, worrying about things, being concerned about regretting our behaviors or actions or whatever else. And then being in the future where we're anxious about what we can't control Uh, So let's try to just draw that into the present so we can actually sense what we're feeling. All right. What were you taught about loneliness and how to address it? Think about your coming up. What do you remember learning about loneliness and what's to be done about it? What do you do when you feel lonely now in life? What do you do? What do you feel about yourself? Try to imagine the the state of loneliness. What do you feel about yourself when you're lonely? And then what do you say about yourself when you're lonely? It's important to try to feel what you feel because our temptation when it comes to loneliness is to be apathetic. 
And apathy is an enemy of community because it's an enemy of love. We often think the opposite of love is hate, when the truth is that's just kind of a, it is a polar opposite, right? There's an extreme love and extreme hate, but apathy is actually the enemy of love. Because apathy is, a, is not feeling love or hate, it's just not caring. And you can't have healthy community, you can't know yourself, you can't know God if you don't care. So this tendency we have, this, this habit we've learned to deny the feelings keeps us apathetic and it keeps us from, from knowing how to surrender. All right. Go ahead. I, oh, I thought we were gonna let them answer. Oh, you want to? Okay, you want to hear? No, we didn't talk about that. We didn't talk Does about. Does anybody have anything that just you want to share in regards to those questions? That is a good idea. I'm glad you're beside me. Anybody think something or realize something while you were considering those questions? You want to share? Like we talked about, like you, I know you know, but in isolation, you can have like communion in some way. But in terms of like getting something done, that's kind of like the antithesis, right? Like we don't want to be lonely. I can't get anyone to be here with me. So be like productive, like accomplish something. And that is not like, it's not apathy, it's not those things. But what it does is gives us a false sense of control. Like it is that I did something. So I wasn't lonely, I was productive. And so it is just this coping mechanism to, I don't know how you're wired, but I'm never lonely because I'm always productive. Always busy. <laughs> and so I'm only lonely when I lay down and then I'm asleep. And yeah. like, that's how I exist. And so I think I'm with you. And to the answer to that question is, what do you mean lonely? I don't even, I've never even considered eclipsing yeah. lonely because I'm constantly productive. That's a good point. It may be important for you to know you are lonely. I should have said that. <laughs> you are lonely. You just need to feel it. Adam was lonely. He, he was not good for him to be alone. God put him to sleep, took his rib out, and made Eve, right? So what do you do when you're lonely? You're supposed to do nothing because the doing is just a distraction from the being. And what we're actually trying to see is what does it mean to be human? Right. And if I remember the passage correctly, right, God's saying it's not good for you to be alone. Then Adam pairs everyone up. Right. And then Adam's like, oh, yeah, there's I am alone. Anyone. Like, God's yeah. fully aware, even before Adam's aware right. of his loneliness. Yeah. Anybody else want to share? Thank you. I mean, I think my response would be something to the same question of either, like, numbing or creating, like, a false sense of community. So, like, scrolling Instagram yep. to feel connected with people Everyone. things yep. that I care about. Or... <laughs> Turning on a like a TV show to mm-hmm. again involve myself in something. So like distracting or numbing mm-hmm. versus like productivity. Absolutely. And I'm with you on that. So I would say there's two things for me that come out of that. I am way better friends with whatever TV show I'm watching than <laughs> you know those characters so well. I know them so well. Um, and then how many of my relationships are actually only built on the regurgitation of what happened in that show or what you and I both know about that person? that we saw on Instagram or whatever, it's not community. 
Because I still need to show up in my false self, and I need, and you need to fall or show up in your false self. And so there's still not community, even though we spend countless hours together. Mm-hmm. And it's all stemming around this idea of we're all so desperate to not be vulnerable. Yeah. And so, the and then when you're too tired to keep your false self up, you altogether isolate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you're sad because you're lonely. You're like, Nobody yeah. wants to spend time with me. Um, but I want to go back to this idea of naked and unashamed because I think it's really important to consider um, thinking through it this morning. This is, like, vulnerable. That's what they're saying. Naked, yes, literally they're naked, but they were just vulnerable. And the same vulnerability that the day before didn't affect them at all mm. is now causing them to do things that don't even logically make sense if you were in the garden. They have never murdered anything to create anything. They've never sewn clothes together. But this impulse to cover up my shame has them doing things that they wouldn't—they literally had never considered as a reality for themselves. Like, but they're desperate, and they start doing some crazy stuff, covering themselves up, hiding from the Creator of all things. Yeah. yeah. Okay, now it's my turn. Sure. <laughs> Anybody else want to talk? Um, okay, so I'm going to talk to you what it, about what it means to be lonely for yourself. So I feel like this is you guys. Are, we can have this dialogue, the three of us. Um, we're lonely for ourselves. You guys, I don't know what you're doing. Um, okay, so what does it mean to be lonely for yourself? Weirdest sentence ever. Um, so I'm a mom, and I'm also an older sister, so I feel like this has probably been my like existence forever, but my first instinct when I say I'm lonely for myself is, please, can I go to the bathroom? Like, just go away. Like, I want to be here in the bathroom by myself, like, silent. We think silence, solitude, don't talk to me, be quiet. My kids are, like, into the quiet game today. Um, So it's been very quiet in my house. Um, But the truth is, those are all nice, but it still leaves us lonely. And that's what we kind of just established here. Because it's not silence that I'm looking for. I'm looking for me. Um, And if I'm intentionally silent but distracted, I'm still not present with myself. Um, And so for me, practically speaking, when I talk to like my clients um, or just anyone really, but specifically my clients, it's really a call to like, would you be willing to get out of your bed and just put your feet on the ground and do nothing else first? Like just put your feet on the ground. Some of us, that's like the first time that we've like cognitively placed our feet on the physical ground and just like existed for a second. But before you're off to the races mentally, just exist. Like how am I doing? Like am I hungry? Am I like, do I need a shower? Did I sleep funky? But even something so simple, we ignore it. And then we're like cranky or whatever. And we're like, like hours into the day before we have any realization that like we haven't eaten or whatever that is. And so it can be that simple, but I think beyond that, it's this growing awareness of our humanity that sets us up to be dependent on God rather than ourselves. And so if I can start my morning with an awareness of my frailty, how much more inclined am I to be dependent on God from jump than if I try to do it, muster it up in my own power for as long as I can until I realize I hit a wall, and then I'll get to it in a minute when we talk about lonely for God. Then I'm just looking around like, where have you been? And that's not how this relationship works. Um, I know that because when they treat me like that, I'm like, I have been here all day taking care of you, and now all of a sudden you need something from me. Um, and that's children, right? There's like selfishness to us. Um, So with an awareness of our dependence on God, we are set up to be renewed. He will renew us. Um, If we remove ourselves as God, we're able to learn um, a couple things. What I like lonely for yourself. How do you accomplish that? Well, one, you need to learn how you're not seeing and showing your, your own status of your heart. 
Like you're hiding it from you and you're hiding it from everyone else. Like, so that's loneliness, that's hurt, um, sadness, it's anger. Um, we're so intent on like, no, no, I'm not. Don't, like, don't. We're so desperate to not be triggered or be set off or anything of that nature because we don't even want to deal with the status of our heart, let alone show it to you and be exposed and vulnerable and shamed in that way. The other is exposing our pain. There is, like, this is personal. Like, there's a real issue with, like, that didn't hurt. No. Mm. My feelings aren't hurt by that. They're just dumb. (laughs) Or whatever my excuse is. Like, this isn't about me. This is about them. Um, And what that does is, like, without dependence on, like, being able to expose that, what I... What I do is I'm, I'm by myself, like I'm isolating. But what I'm hoping for is, I think to the question that happened last week about how do we build that community, I just want to like reaffirm my desire to expose my heart is my desire to expose my heart. And it has to be that way because I can't guarantee you can hold that space for me. And so I want so badly for you guys to be good at that. Like I want you to be able to be with me and love me well. But I'm not exposing my heart to expose your ability to hold me. I'm exposing my heart because I need it. It's a vulnerability. I'm willing to expo- like I'm willing to enter into, and I pray you're available for me. But I didn't do it as a test for you. I did it for me. And so I hope you're not hurt in exchange. But your willingness to go there and really pour yourself out really has to be your willingness. Like this could go really badly. But I want so badly to be in community, you're worth risking my pain for, because I kind of know what I'm getting myself yeah, into. You can't have community without Right. Um, and then we're looking to like own your uniqueness. To be lonely for yourself is to know what makes you you. Stop trying to be like everyone else. Put your phone down. It's not that entertaining. They all are doing the same thing. We're trying to keep up with each other. What makes you like cool? Uh, like what is weird and quirky about you that if people knew that about you, that would actually be intriguing. Not the caricature things that you want us to know about you. Um, And then the last one would be, like, similar to what I started with, just this awareness of your physical body. You start to own that, whether that is you're previously trying to, you know, be thinner, blonder, whatever, whatever it is you're trying to put out there. Just, I'm not saying don't be healthy, but don't put all your hope in what's coming. Like, who are you right now? What do you have to offer us right now? What kind of vulnerability in your story today would be so encouraging for us? Um, And so if we can do that, we begin to see how our body, our story, our limits, they tell us about our humanity, our frailty, and they set us up for intimacy and connection with God that we can't have if we think we're okay. Or if we're so self-loathing that we can't even see that God's there wanting us because we're so sure we have to be something different before he's even coming after us. Yeah, yeah so that, the way that looks in my life, just to help you continue to get your head around, what does it mean to be lonely for yourself, is I lost myself at some point in my life trying to be what other people want me to be. And not only did they not actually know the real me because I was giving them a fake version, but also I began to not know the real me. And there's, there's complexities and layers to it for every individual. She's pointing out you are an individual. By God's design, you matter individually and you contribute to the health of the body. Every person in the group plays their role. And if you deny your uniqueness or your gifts or whatever it is, you're not contributing to the health of the family. And then it throws off everybody. If any part of the body is weak, then we're all weak. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to explain with the analogy. So for me, trying to be what everybody else wanted me to be 
I'm biracial, so what do I, how, who am I in a black space? Who am I in a white space? I'm reformed and charismatic, so who am I in this space and who am I in that space? I was raised in poverty, but I was always around my rich friends, so who am I in this space? Who am I in that space? And I just learned how to pretend to be who I was supposed to be for any given context, never actually feeling like I belonged anywhere. And at some point, I was like, I don't actually know who I am. I don't know what my real voice is. I don't know if I use slang or I don't. I don't, I don't know what it means to have money or not. And it, maybe not that extreme, but I'm trying to give you a picture of I just didn't know who I was. And I began to feel really anxious. I'm talking about it in past tense, but y'all, it's right now. <laughs> Coming here to a place like this today. I don't know who I'm going to encounter, who's going to listen to me, what they're going to feel about me. And there's a psychological term you've probably heard, codependence. Codependence in me makes, puts me in a position of caring far more about what you feel than what I'm feeling. In fact, I'll deny my feelings and just take responsibility for what you feel. So I can't be okay if you're not okay. And there's so much mystery in your faces right now if you've never sat up here. You're smiling, so that makes me feel good. Humor is my best deflection, so thank you for laughing. Y'all feel it? Do you feel it? It's, none of this is any good if we're not feeling it. That's loneliness. I'm not just lonely for y'all. I'm lonely for me. And unless I can learn some practices to show up with honesty and just be me, unless I can take the time in solitude, not in isolation, but in a healthy solitude, seeking the Lord to show me who I am, we can only know ourselves through Him. There's this beautiful way that works together. You can't know him unless you know you, and you can't know you unless you know him. Unless I do that, then I can never be known by you. And I won't be able to let you know me, because I don't know who that is. That's lonely for yourself. And that ties to this lonely for other, like I just demonstrated. There's this, this garden scene that's laying out, this communal image of God and the community of creation. It's this, will you be with me even when I'm really bad? Will you still want me, God, when I fail? Will, will you, Eve, will you still want to be with me when I blame you for what just went down? Like, there's this feeling. God puts this in the curse. He puts this tension between Adam and Eve, but really in existence between man and man. It's this horizontal curse. Like, we're broken. We now are in need of restoration. It was always a part of the plan so that we would look to Jesus. So I'm just making some assumptions here. You know where this is going. But in that loneliness for others, we may say things like, I miss being close with this person in your past who you were known by. And not only did they know you, but they accepted you. It's that friend, even if you're an introvert, that you don't feel exhausted by. I can just be there and be me. We're lonely for more of that. But everybody's coming to the party with false self, and nobody's actually known. So everybody's lonely and lying about it. That's the communities we end up building. Before you so, say that next okay. thing, I was just thinking, there have been times like recently, like in the last five years, where I'm encountering people, and I hope this is true of you too, but like I walk away and I'm like, that was so different than anything else I've ever experienced. Mm. Like I felt so much more like bare, like honest, but I truly feel like I want to go back to that space. I don't yeah. feel like I have word vomit or whatever, insecurity, <laughs> whatever that is. And it took a while. Like, we would have these conversations, and what we came to realize is, oh, my, they might actually have the Spirit of God in them. Yeah. <laughs> like, they actually yes. are peaceful people. Yes. They are people. And so there's something about if you can 
find anyone to even eclipse that for a moment, Mm -hmm. you become so aware of how it truly is terrifying and refreshing. There is something beautiful about these moments when you are like really exposed Mm -hmm. and it's really good. Um, And I think, I mean, for any woman that's ever had a kid, that's your life, right? You're very aware. I was Mm -hmm. very exposed. But also, it was beautiful. Like, I wasn't worried about what you were experiencing in that moment. I was having my own experience, and it was validated. And so that is such a, like, a natural way of just seeing, like, that's what we're longing for. Like, everyone wants that. And so my hope is you can kind of pick that out. And it may not always be with the same people or maybe not always with them, but there are these moments where you just get a glimpse of, yeah, that's so, that's so true of so-and-so. And if that is it, all your story, take a minute and validate that in them because it really is the spirit of God. And it is them like truly letting the spirit of God move in them in a way that's a blessing to you. Mm. And like, that's something we should be encouraging in each other. Yeah. I just got lost in what you were saying. I forgot what I was saying. Well, you wrote down what you no, were I wrote saying. Down. Well, I was going to say something else. Um, oh, yeah, you were talking about being around people. I, the first people I thought of, it was the Conleys. I, experiencing that with Amelia, mm-hmm. um, she just, with, carrying her anxiety differently than I carry mine, we would hang out with them, or it was through some ascending process, getting to know them. She was like, I really feel like I can be me. Like, are you telling me these types of relationships can exist? Because we've been in ministry since we've known each other. And the church, I'm trying to like it's not filter out place. words just now. It's like, <laughs> children are in here, Kendrick, don't say it. The church can be rough sometimes because we build this pharisaical culture where accountability is shaming and condemning. Like, you tell me you're saying, I'm going to make you feel shame about it. And that's not accountability according to God. I started saying a couple years ago, I don't want to be held accountable. I just want to be held. Give me some friends who would just hold me. (laughs) I'm feeling that right now. I hope you're feeling it. If you give me somebody that can hold me and I feel loved and accepted, the spirit of God is in me. That's plenty of conviction. I long to do what's right. I long to do what's good. I just need somebody to hold me when I can't. That's accountability, right? That's lonely to feel like I can't tell anybody the truth. Because I don't want to be condemned. We need friends like that. We need a culture like that in the church. It also works in your other relationships. It doesn't have to be the holy ones. Like you're, if you have a spouse or a significant other or even a good friend who will share with you their problems or you share your problems to them and what they try to do right away is fix it. You know, the fixing people in your life. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Let me do all this stuff. And it feels lonely. And to them, it feels ridiculous. Like, if I can fix your problem, that'll fix your problem. What's the problem? I don't know what's going on here. But the, the reason we're resistant to just fixing the problem is because you actually just want them to be present. If you could just be here with me first, can we just feel the moment? Let's be sad together. And then maybe we can get to the fixing the problem. But if we're rushing ahead to fix the problem, what we're actually communicating is, I want you to stop being sad. I want you to stop being angry. And so it's the same invalidation of your feelings that you maybe got growing up. And so there's some triggering happening, and I feel alone again. I don't actually feel like you love me and you want to be with me. So that feeling is loneliness. We can call it sad because that's the the byproduct. We can call it uh, anger because that's a byproduct, but we're actually feeling lonely. We're longing for intimacy. We want to be known and loved. We're lonely. And And if you're making your spouse feel this way, and there's been this frustration in your marriage, it's kind of like the love languages, right? You have to understand what you're actually accomplishing is not what they actually need. And to be present with your spouse 
or to, to be lonely with your spouse is maybe the scariest thing of all. Like this was supposed to be the person who had the deepest intimacy with me and knew me the best and loved me the best. There's no doubt so many marriages unravel even within the church based on this idea. And you're probably not only making them feel lonely, but also ashamed of having that experience or burden, like they're burdening you with their problems because all you want to do is fix them. Which is like not an obvious problem. So this is the marriage is really, we've been okay. Where did this go wrong? And what it really was is just this, I was never able to tell you I wasn't with you. Like we were together. We did all the right things, Mm. but we were never together. We were never actually one unit. We were just two false selves butting up against each Mm. other playing by the rules parenting together yeah and then those kids leave the house and you're like okay that was it i'm all of a sudden really lonely yeah and i've really just been alone the whole time Mm. i think that that's a good way of viewing okay it's a good way to actually view how we see god i think that none of us actively like to think about it that way and so we were talking through what it's like to be lonely for for yourself and it was like dawning on me that um, I, I recall these moments where we um, are just really honest about like God has three answers to prayers. Yes, no, and wait. And we're all kind of okay with that. Not really. We really always want it to be yes. But no and wait are just, that's how it's going to be. And it was like occurring to me the way that I don't want my problem to be fixed. I want my husband to be present with me. That is not how I view God. Like it is always a prayer for an answer. Mm. I don't want to hear no. I don't want to hear wait. I just want you to fix it. I want you to fix him and her and this and my finances and fix, 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 fix. And we are so frustrated. Can we pause for a second? I just thought of Moses on the mountain talking to the burning bush. Go for it. And he's, like, God tells him what he's going to do, and he says, who am I? And God's answer to the question, who am I, is I'm with you. This is what we're talking about. He's not fixing it. He's not telling him, oh, Moses, you're awesome, man. What do you mean, who are you? You did all this cool stuff, man. You used to be a prince of Egypt. You got this. Go, Moses. He just says, I'm with you. Because that's what he actually needs, the answer. Yeah. So similar to our function of loneliness for others, we are functioning in relationship with God with the idea, like, just fix it. He, Mo, like, so to go off what you're saying, Moses is talking to a bush that isn't on fire but is on fire. And he's not at all curious. He's just worried about himself. If that's not an example of, like, God, just go fix it. Like, God could have done everything he did after 10 plagues right then and there. But he doesn't. Because that's not, that's not the M.O. The, it's, the world is broken. Let me be clear. The world is broken. Sin is everywhere. But if it was just God's aim to fix the world, he would have done that. Like, it's not his inability that we're struggling with. It's us. We want it right now. So the, the best way for me to see this, like, picture this would be if we're up on um, a stained glass. Like, we are seeing cracks and break, breaks everywhere. And we are really overwhelmed by how messed up this is. Like, all it is is broken. And what we're incapable of seeing is the bigger picture. All we see is our limited view, and it it keeps us from being lonely for God, but instead we're just lonely for the solution. Fix it. Put it back together. So you're so lonely for the solution to your problem, you don't know how to be lonely for God. And then... It sets us on a trajectory to be lonely for everything else because we don't even know where to go, what to do, which way is up. We just want everything to be fixed. And it's a really dangerous place to be because to go back to what you said, that leads us on a path to a really dangerous space where temporary solutions to our very deep, intimate wounds 
are found and ultimately continue to break us and break our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. Yeah, and the, and the loneliness that we're feeling for God can be kind of tricky because we're, we get caught up in the doing. Like she was talking about doing stuff to not be lonely for others and herself. We do that with God. Like we do the religious stuff. Like I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm, I'm showing up. Like, God, where are you? Like we get so caught up in trying to do something that brings God near, we, we don't, we're not just present with him. And so we're feeling like he's so far away from us. And we're, we're angry because we're doing all the stuff that, you know, supposed to make him do what we want. Yeah. And it's not working for us. To go back to what you said originally, why do we keep ourselves busy? We're lonely. And I don't know about you, but it helped, like I'm tired. Like then I physically get to check out mm-hmm. and it's not wrong. I'm tired. But if I apply that to how I function in the body of Christ, that that's what we're doing, right? I'm, I'm busy. I can't stop. I can't be present. Um, someone told us the other day that they were struggling with how to participate in church because it's keeping them from being present in their neighborhood. So I'm not telling you not to be a part of a body, but that's a thought for me. Like, that's such a good point. Like, how many church things am I doing that I don't even know how to make time for you? Mm-hmm. And so it's a balance. I'm definitely not saying don't volunteer. They need you to volunteer. Um, <laughs> but... Consider where you are legitimately plugged in only for the sake of hiding. Because we don't want your help. If it is you hiding from who God made you to be, dealing with the wounds that you bring to the table, they don't need your service so badly that they want to sacrifice your soul. Hmm. Or if they do, that's a bad church. You should get out of there. Uh, So we have these three ideas of intimacy. If you're not known and loved by God, you're lonely for God. If you're not known and loved by others, you're lonely for others. If you're not known and loved by yourself, you're lonely for yourself. And so we want you to consider these questions, the the follow-up questions. Um, Are there three of them? There are. So what are you lonely for today in those categories? If If you're experiencing a loss of intimacy in any of the categories, you're lonely. And so it doesn't have to be that you're all of them, but it can be. What is threatening to you about acknowledging the loneliness? Why don't you want to admit it? Or maybe you can't, you can't feel it. And then maybe an exercise for later so we can get... Not a question. Yeah. Um, think of a time in your loneliness that you longed for something, for someone or some place. Or maybe even consider a place that was good, you felt free in or at peace in. What was it about that, that space or that place or that relationship that felt safe and good and intimate. That's, a, that's an exercise of many. That's the type of exercise you can do to feel your loneliness rather than deny it. But consider it. What is it like to have intimacy? Long for it. That's why God gave it to you. And then you have these other feelings. Sadness helps you grieve the lack of whatever it is, the lack of intimacy. Your sadness helps you there. You have anger, which is a passion, a fuel to do something. Like, I, I'm going to go and make community, make communion by the grace of God through righteous anger instead of a, an anxious rage that, you know, is destructive in a lot of ways because you're fearful you're never going to, you're always going to be alone. Your fear can lead you to rage, but your anger can fuel you to righteous work, right? So feel those feelings as they come, but they come after you realize your loneliness, all right, I'm going to read uh, some quotes, and then you want to do question and answer after that? How long have we been up here? Yeah. Well, 
We can just go to the next part and then do questions. All right, listen to these quotes. They're not on your page. Those are different ones, but uh, this may be just to help if your brain works differently than what we just gave you. Maybe these quotes can help. Here's why it's a problem to deny your loneliness. Our proclivity for self-preservation inhibits our movement towards intimacy, right? You want to survive is what it's saying. And your desire to survive keeps you from intimacy because of an intolerance for the pain of loneliness. We don't want to be rejected and alone, so we don't even try. We don't pursue intimacy because we're trying to survive. And we think we've got it under control. But when we avoid loneliness, we set ourselves up to attach to cheap substitutes for community and and communion. So addiction sets in. It's not simply seeking medication for our pain, but rather a familiar poison that deadens our imagination that something could change for the better. Or it keeps us in the lie so we don't even know that there's an intimacy better than whatever we can fabricate. These are ideas from a guy named Jay Stringer who works a lot in addiction spaces. And he identifies this loneliness as something that leads us to addiction to substances, to alcohol, to whatever it is. You're trying to find something to feed the loneliness. You're fixing it yourself. Hold on. So if we go back to last week, I made the comment that if you are in legitimate trauma, there is not a capacity to feel something outside of loneliness. So I just want to like pause for a second while we consider, because this is kind of what he's going to, um, we consider the ways addictive things happen. Um, it's a tendency to be like, ugh, like, we're shame, We're shaming about addiction. But the reality is you have an addiction. It's not as obvious, but we all have something we yeah. turn to that is our nummy. Like, it's just not illegal or it's not as offensive. Yeah. But more so, I want to I invite you to consider asking first with curiosity, why is there an addiction? Because if I'm in trauma, I can't feel anything but lonely, I can't be in this moment, you're going to numb. It's the mm-hmm. only way to stay alive. And so every addict I've ever known is trying to survive. It is not an excuse for a behavior, but it is a rationale that is worth deeming valuable because if they're not numb, then they're in trauma. And none of us would choose that if there is any alternative to what you're feeling. So I just want to invite you, instead of being curious with a shame, be really curious about what pain is that individual bringing because there, I have not yet... I'm only 33, but I've not yet met a single person with an addictive vice that isn't coming out of a trauma that informed their addiction. Yeah, let's, that basically is what this next quote is, so thank you, Amelia. Let's, let's um, flip that page, and Amelia's going to just describe this diagram. We just want to give you another way to look at it so that you can kind of get your head around it because it's kind of ambiguous if you've not felt lonely before. So if you see the two boxes, pleasure and pain, we're going to see these as kind of like the two on-ramps into this toxic shame cycle. So with pleasure, we delight in some sort of pleasure, which is, we're not talking like this is a sinful pleasure, which leads us to this idea of this is wrong, so I'm moved to shame. I'm going to shame myself. And we talked a little bit last week. There's a type of shame that's not toxic that kind of moves us into, I need to be doing something, mm-hmm. but we don't go there very like fluidly. So it's the idea, humility. Yeah. So we're going to take on this, okay, I'm, I'm the problem. I'm the worst. Like with these beliefs about our core self, not guilt where I need to be sorry about something. I am the problem. I exist to be the problem. It is in me that is the issue. 
And from there, we move on to this false sense of security. So we, uh, I'm, I'm the worst. I'm not going to do that again. We set up these laws, these rules for ourselves. I'll never, whatever. Get accountability. Yeah. Make sure you shame me if I mess this up. Right. Which can't do anything but isolate us because there's no honesty there. I'm still just kind of alone in my thing. And then it leads me to further separation. And so here we go over and over again, sin, isolation, separation. And that's all the time. Um, now, the issue here is we, I mean, the, the thing here that can happen is with that sin, if we slide into shame and we're honest about the pain, we have choices here. And if we can be honest about the pain, we can be honest. And that allows us to then be repentant, which allows us to receive forgiveness, which allows us freedom. I mean, it's all through scripture that if we're vocal about these things, that there's freedom for us and ultimately there's community there. So I want you to see how pain is God's gift to alert us that something's not the way it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be. It is pain. Like, hear me say, the word is pain. It's not easy. You are in sin. You are a sinful person and it will hurt to be human. But if in your pain you can acknowledge this is God coming after me. This is a moment where he is telling me this isn't right. It's not good. So if I can see that it's not the way that it's supposed to be. But when we don't respect the pain enough to believe that there's something wrong, we become disconnected from our emotions. And then we, we can't do anything but act out in sin because we are not here. This isn't us. This isn't who God created us to be. We're functioning in this flesh that is sinful and desires to be shamed more so we can continue to be separate, so we continue to indulge. And so this shame cycle attempts to escape the pain of unmet needs with security, significance, competence, affirmation, control, and all we're doing is numbing and ignoring the real feeling. The grace cycle above attempts to surrender the pain and then in an act of faith and humility, receptively allow your wounds to be healed through relationship with God, and relationship with others. So on the list of things that I gave last time, the um, materials, there's a book on there called The Relational Soul. And the writer has, we've done some work with them in the past, and he, like the book explicitly exists to say if there is a problem, it's it's a relational problem. All problems are relational. They are relationally within me, me with me, me with others, and me with God. And we have to see how our pain is not, we're not meant to escape pain. Um, we didn't read it, but in the garden, that's Jesus, right? Like he's, he's begging God, if they don't have to do this, I don't want to. Like this humanity of Jesus is saying, if this, pa- this cup could pass, let's do that one. Mm-hmm. But he knows what's happening. And so like, if you can't believe it's true about like what we're talking about, see it in Jesus. See that he's, he's honestly desiring to not follow through with the most painful thing. The son of man who is a part of the, tri- like the trinity is going to separate himself from the rest of himself. That's a big deal. And so he's going to take that pain, but you're going to numb your cheap pain with cheap things. That's so dishonoring and discrediting of what he did for you. Like you deserve, we deserve shame. Mm. We ate from the truth. We said we wanted to be God. And he still is coming after us. Like, sit in that and really feel the weight of every decision you make to hide from what you are so afraid of yep. is exactly what he felt when his best friends are asleep and he's about to die. 
like, how lonely. And that God that denies him won't. He can't. Like, if we come after him, he can't tell us no. That's incredible. Yeah. And even on the cross, he cried out, why have you forsaken me? Is this another picture of the loneliness? So what we're seeing is Jesus dying. And what we're saying right now, you need to die. Yeah. But what's beautiful is there's a resurrection. So he's gone before us. He's the firstborn of, among creation. This is Colossians 1. He's this, he's this image of God who's done the work that we can't do. And now he's brought, brought himself back to life. And he's clothed us in that righteousness so that we can be brought back to life again and again. So 2 Corinthians 5, Galatians 2, Romans, the whole book, right? <laughs> We're talking about us not being who we need to be the false self we try to create through the law or whatever, by whatever means necessary to survive. You're just trying to be a human that survives. Jesus is saying, die. And when you die, there's resurrection. And he's demonstrated it for us. So what do you do when you feel these feelings? We sit with him in death so that we can rise with him again and again with every moment. Grieve the loneliness and then live in Jesus. And seek intimacy with him and with others and with yourself. So that's it. I told you we were going to leave time for questions, and we did not. But if there's any question, I'll, I'll, I think I can sense the room. Y'all are with us still, right? I don't know. I see one head. That's all I need. All right. <laughs> any questions? All right. I'm going to choose to believe there's no questions because it was thorough. Not, not because you don't care. All right, we'll stick around for just a little bit afterwards. We're going to sing and share communion. And so I'm going to lead us in that. Um, not the singing. I'm going to lead us in communion. Um, but let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. The mercy to, uh, to still be here. All these things purchased by Christ on that cross and realized in his resurrection. Would you help us to believe? We, we not only struggle to be honest with ourselves, but to have any sense of integrity when it comes to whether or not we believe you when you say you can bring us back to life. As we share in this meal together, Lord, let it be a reminder not only that Jesus has died and has got up out of the grave, but that we too in Him live. And that in Him we find all we need to be honest about all we feel. Would you do that supernatural work in us, moment by moment, day by day, conforming us into your beautiful image. Give us a confidence that we are clothed in your righteousness and that the work we do here is not about proving ourselves or or trying to find a place to belong, but knowing that in our being, we are who you've created us to be. And we'd find greater freedom, not by our own means, but by our surrender to you unto death, to live in life. So church, take the bread. The, if you don't know, the dark one is wine, the light one is juice. Both represent the blood of Christ, and His body broken is the bread. And as you take it, remember and believe. Take and eat.